0: When I was 15 years old, like my first real job, I was a waiter. Any waiters in the house? That was one of your first jobs? Yeah. At a pristine establishment known as Parker's Barbecue in Wilson, North Carolina. Maybe you've been in Greenville, North Carolina, there's a Parker's, and in Wilson, they're related, and man, good old Eastern North Carolina barbecue, and that place was a time machine. Like When we worked, we wore these little paper hats. And, uh, yeah, and there was, like, a vending machine outside that sold cigarettes. So, you know, like, it was high-quality place. And uh, so I worked there, and it was it a was fun first job. My very first night, though, I'll never forget it. I waited tables. I was getting trained, and it went really well. And when I got done at the end of the night, I began to count my tips. And that night, on my very first night at my very first real job, I made $74 in tips. And if you waited tables, you you realize, like, that's a pretty good first night. I will never forget sitting in my room that night, 15-year-old Chris smelling like fried chicken, and I'm sitting in my room looking at the stack of dirty $1 bills, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I am rich. This This is more money than I know what to do with. And it was amazing. I remember I immediately, the next day I went out, and my dad took me to a pawn shop. And I bought a stereo. Spent every penny. I was, it was gone. And he was like, son, this is not a great idea. And I'm like, I know, but it feels so right. And so I, I spent all of it. Well, the thing is, I kept working. I didn't always make $74 every night. Sometimes I made more. Most of the time it was less than that. But I would collect my money. And I was, I'm, I'm a, you know, avid musician and music lover. And so I remember I made a list of CDs that I wanted to buy. And I made a list of musical instruments and apps uh, amps that I wanted to buy. And I started, like, checking them off my list. And then I was, like, very studious about this. This is how, how much it costs. And I would get it, and I would earn it, and I would buy it and it was so good but you know what I wanted more I needed more I needed more of that so I worked some more and I bought some more and by the time I was a senior in high school I was one of those kids with two or three jobs I was working 30 to 40 hours a week in addition to whatever extracurriculars I was doing and I was making money and I was buying the stuff that I wanted and I was having the money and I was growing this bank account because I wanted to, to have money in my bank account and you know what I wanted more It just was never enough. That idea of wanting more hits right at the heart of something that is so crucial to who we are as as humans. We're in week three of this teaching series. We're calling it The Grass is Greener, Discovering the Secret to Contentment. And we've been dancing around a lot of different areas of our life where we find discontentment and looking at what scripture can teach us about finding contentment. And It's been a really good study, I know, for me just to get into that because being discontent is something we find ourselves in a lot. But today we're just going to rip the band-aid off and we're going to go for the big one. The thing that I think most people are most, the most amount of people are the most dissatisfied with or discontent in, and that's their money, like their stuff. Like I wish I had more stuff. I wish I had bigger, like, house and nicer car and newer phone. And here's the deal. Uh, If you're new here today or you haven't been around here for very long and then you hear, like, oh, no, I showed up on a day they're talking about money. And you know there's a history between the conversation about church and money, and it makes people sick. In fact, some people, uh, some churches, because they're so aware of the stigma about church and money, they will avoid talking about money like the plague. Other people, because of their stigma about money and church, they will avoid church like the plague. And maybe that's been you. And I want to tell you something just from the bottom of my heart. Since day one, when we started this church five and a half years ago, we've said, you know what? When we talk about money, we're only going to talk about it in a healthy and God-honoring way. And that's all. That's all. And also this, we're not going to avoid it. We're not, because church, we are family, and I don't know about your family, but in my family, we talk about money a lot, like frequently. Like almost every single day, my wife and I have some sort of conversation that revolves around some portion of our finances, and as a church family, I think it's healthy that we do that, but the other reason that we got to not avoid it is because God talks about it a lot, like all throughout the Bible, because he recognizes that there is a direct correlation between our understanding about our material things and our spiritual life they're deeply intertwined. And you can't just skip over it, and you can't just avoid it. And so we wanna talk about it in a healthy way. And I feel like in this series on contentment is a perfect place to come in and say, you know, what's an area where I'm super discontent? I think for a lot of us, it might be in our money. Every week we love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth. And so if you've got your Bible, we're gonna be in First Timothy. First uh, Timothy is a really cool book. We meet this young man named Timothy very early in his life, and he, uh, he meets the Apostle Paul. Paul is uh, this missionary that starts most of the first churches that we read about in the Bible, and uh, he meets Paul at a young age, and he decides to kind of follow Paul, become a disciple of Paul's, and before long, we find that this young man, Timothy, becomes one of the main leaders in the early church, and he goes around establishing new churches and appointing eldership over new churches. It's a really cool thing, and Paul writes these letters of instruction to this, this guy, Timothy, and we have two of them in existence still today, and they're in our, uh, in our our English Bibles as 1st and 2nd Timothy. And what we find in the context of what Timothy's dealing with when Paul writes him in the book of 1st Timothy is that there's this group of people at the church he's working with that have a really, healthy, a really unhealthy understanding about money and God. In fact, you might not believe this, but there were people there who were trying to get rich off of the church. <laughs> That was, their, that was their problem. They were going around, and they were saying, listen, if you, if you really want to make God happy, you need to pay us a lot of money, and you need, to get us, you need to get us wealthy. 2,000 years ago, that was something that was going on, and it sounds like a blog you could read that you found on Twitter today. Like, oh, great, another church misusing money, and some people trying to get rich off of people's uh, uh, you know, religious and spirituality and emotional stuff. This is a thing that Paul wants to nip in the bud at the very beginning. So he writes this letter to Timothy with some ideas about how to to manage this. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when I come to my own personal relationship with my money and my closest friends, I find that there's a common theme that runs among everybody, no matter what their financial status is. And it is this, that to some degree, we feel a little bit trapped by our money. And it's interesting how this works out because I have friends who have lots of money, tons of money more money than I could ever dream of having. And because of all the money, they're like, man, it's so much upkeep, and I've got all these different properties to take care of, and I've got all these investments to manage, I've got all this stuff to do. And even with that, maybe I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew. And so as a result, I'm working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week just to keep up with the, the lifestyle that I, that I want to live and go, 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 go. I just feel so trapped. Oh, man, if I could just live more simply. On the other side of the pendulum, I got friends who are like, we don't have hardly any money. I mean, we are struggling. We're going hand-to-mouth every single paycheck. I don't know how it's going to work out this month. And man, if I just had a little bit more money, it'd be great. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm behind on bills. I'm, I'm backed up in credit card debt. I got all this thing. And you know what I feel? I feel trapped. And for those with a lot, the solution seems to be, if I just had more. And for those with little, the solution seems to be, if I just had more. Maybe more is not the solution. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there is a way that we can find contentment with the things that we have. And this is the beautiful and amazing thing we've got to understand. There is a direct correlation between our relationship with our money and our spiritual health. It's the reason God talks about it so much, because he wants us to keep an eye on it. Let's understand that a little bit better today as we look at First Timothy. We'll be in chapter 6, starting at like the second half of verse 2. If you, if you see how the paragraphs are broken up, you'll see where it starts there. Chapter 6, the second half of verse 2. Paul says, These are the things that you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited, they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicion and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Remember, the context of this teaching is that there's these people at Timothy's church who have a really unhealthy relationship with money and they're trying to get rich off the church. And so Timothy says this, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. And these are some things I want you to learn. So this is where he goes. Look at verse six. It's a standalone verse. It's a huge verse, verse six. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Time out. If you got a paper Bible in your hands, I want you to steal your neighbor's pen, highlighter, whatever you got. I want you to underline this verse. I want you to circle it. I want you to, to highlight it. I want you to put squares around it, stars. If you Instagram Bible verses, this is the one for you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If more, 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 more seems to be the solution to all the problems and situations in the world, and that's not working, what if the answer is godliness and contentment, and I, I love the language that he chooses here. It's great gain. That's a finance word. Let's keep going and understand that. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If we look through history and you just look at the richest people who have ever lived... It's really sad to see the number of stories that pop up to the top where you find out that, like, man, despite the fact these people had everything, they were still struggling. They were hurting. They would say, you know, I've got, I've got the, the very thing that everybody else is fighting for, which is more, and I'm miserable. And it's not true that everyone, some people found some happiness in their money, but check this out. Those people who have lived and gone, guess what? They're dead, and someone else has their stuff now. You can't take it with you. Is what he says. You brought nothing into the world. You can't take it out of the world with you. And then he says this. He coins this famous phrase, verse 10. He says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People who have never read the Bible have heard this this sentiment, the idea that money is the root of evil. And Notice, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's not just that money's bad. Money's great. In fact, God uses money to advance his kingdom all the time, to help people in need, all kinds of great things. But it's the love of money that is the root of all different kinds of evil. And and you don't have to live in the world long to understand that. So what do we do? What do we do? Because in the world we live in, money seems to be pretty important. And it seems to be pretty essential. Like, why do we, This is a food for thought. Why do we encourage our kids so hard to do well in school? Do we really care if they understand trigonometry? We do not because most of us do not. We want them to get good jobs. And we want them to support their own self. Later, so that we don't support them forever, right? (laughs) Like that's isn't it crazy how central finances are to our existence in this world? What do we do with it, though? If it can be so dangerous, Jesus has some great advice. This is huge. Jesus in Matthew chapter six and verse nineteen, he says, "Well, here's one thing you should do: don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures." In heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a direct correlation between our relationship with money and our spiritual health. Jesus says it himself here. And our relationship with our material possessions is a great indicator of the state of our hearts, our spiritual life. Jesus speaks on, on stewardship and money a couple different ways because he knows that that is something in our life that will trap us and that we'll be underneath the weight of that stuff going, what do I do? He said, I tell you what, don't make that a treasure. The difference between just money and something that you treasure is about the value that it takes in your life. Like a super, super wealthy person can still be like, you know what, my treasure is not my money, it's, it's my wife and my kids. You see? So it's not just that treasure has to be gold doubloons and pieces of eight and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's the idea that you're treasuring it in your heart above other things. And so Paul gives this amazing thing. We're going back to Timothy now, Timothy chapter 6. And he's talking to Timothy. He says, listen, there's these people in your church and they've got this bad attitude about money. I'm going to give you a strategy for freeing yourself and them from this trap. And he's going to give us these four words, and guys, these four words might be something that you could take home and kind of uh, mull over in your mind and think through and just maybe see how you could get free of some things in your life that, remember, we're talking about contentment and finding peace in who God has made us, that's what we talked about last week, and finding peace in who God is, that's what we talked about on Easter Sunday. But now, looking at our money, he gives us these four words, and we're just going to read through it, starting at verse 11. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Right, we're going to unpack that a little bit. I've got the four words here, though. Now, and this is not some cleverly devised, devised like four part sermon outline that's just going to be all poetic and wonderful. It's it's like directly out of the text, and it is poetic and wonderful. But it's directly out of what Paul just says. And let's look at the four words. The words are flee pursue, fight, take hold. That's the lesson for today. If you take home anything today, take home these four words and let them just sink in your brain and we can work on it daily from there. Flee, pursue, flight, take hold. He says, but you men of God flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses let 's break those down okay those four things because these are crucial to being just free from this trap and finding contentment in what god's given us. The first word is flee flee uh, Flee is uh to run specifically to run away from we we run away. we don't flee from the ice cream truck like like you that's that's something good. We flee from like things of danger if there's a bear chasing you in the woods you Flee. Flee is something particularly when there's danger involved. And, and it's interesting that as we talk about the finance thing, this, this is directly the context of what Paul's teaching on here. He says, listen, this is the first thing you do. You need to flee from all of that. What does that mean? We, we surround ourselves with so much materialism. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, we don't, I don't have to even make that point. We're all like, yep. We are among the richest people in the world. Even the poorest people in our city are richer than because they for example eat occasionally you know it's 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 amazing how wealthy we are in this culture and then those of us who are above the poverty line like we're killing it we're killing it and so you look at that and he says listen you need to flee from all of that does that mean like uh okay i'm gonna default on my mortgage i'm gonna quit paying that i'm not ever going to pay anybody no 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 we need to be responsible with our money it's a whole different thing but in as much as it consumes us we need to let it go I had a good friend who recently was just trying to get out a ton of debt. And, and I learned a lot from this guy. And one, one thing that, that he did as he started working through this stuff is he just started getting rid of stuff. He's like, you know, I got too many cars. Just give them away. I got too much, like, house. Give some of that away. I got too much. I just got to get out of that because I got to run away from that. Because if that's what's defining me right now, that's not healthy. So what it looks like for you to flee, I don't know. It might mean having a yard sale. It might mean going through your stuff and be like, you know what? I have three pair of shoes that I haven't worn in two years. I bet you somebody else would like to have this nice pair of shoes. Like, it might be a, a giving away thing. It might be a thing where you're like, sit down with somebody at lunch and be like, honey, maybe we need to sell the beach house. Like, it's a lot of extra work. It's stressing us the heck out. Why are we even worried about it? I don't know. I don't know what it means for you to flee from that. But when you feel trapped by it, you don't have to, like, live under it. You can let it go. We're going to keep learning why. But that's flee. The second one is this pursue. Now, flee is like, I'm picturing a chicken with his head cut off, you know, running around the yard, you know, that all analogy. You're just like, bark, 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 and you're just he's not barking because his head's over there. But you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just, he's just like freaking out and you're running. And, and God's not like, just like, run away and just run, pick a direction and run any direction. No, he's like, flee, but pursue. You know what you do to the ice cream truck? You pursue the ice cream truck. When you pursue something, you've got a goal in mind and you head after it. Thank you, Paul, for giving us a list of things we can pursue. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Now, we could spend a lot of time unpacking all these words, and it would be great and philosophical and meaningful. And, and may, but I would encourage you instead, maybe this is a great Bible study you could do this week. What do these words mean? What is righteousness? What is, uh, what is Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness? But a, I mean, a couple of those words really jump out to me. The one that jumps out to me the most is probably endurance. That's probably for me in my own life. When it comes to being under the trap of finances, other translations render this word um, patience. And if you, I've never really thought about how patience and endurance are kind of the same thing. Just think about that. Like, pay, have you ever been to the DMV? And you're just like, being patient? Slash, I'm just enduring this. I'm going to get through it. And that's a really neat thing, that they're very, very similar concepts. If you know anything about financial health, you know nothing good happens fast. You can't rush into financial freedom. You can't rush into wealth. If you do, you, you may have done something illegal or unhealthy, and this is not a financial advice seminar. But but when it comes to the health between our spiritual health and our money, endurance is an important thing. And sometimes it means, you know what, maybe I need to wait before I get the iPhone X because I don't have $1,000 right now. Endurance. Maybe it means I need to hold back on what I'm doing with all of this money right now because there is a greater prize that I could invest in with my life. I told you I wasn't going to unpack all those words, so I'm not. But endurance just hit me because my wife and I right now, we're just working for... I'm 37, and so I'm thinking, like, am I supposed to think about retirement yet? And the answer is, yes, you are. But at this time, I'm like, it's a long way away. But I'm looking at that realizing, you know what? We got... The time begins now. The endurance, the patient piece begins now. The trusting God part begins now. And so I love that Paul includes that word in this list. Righteousness, godliness, gentleness, love, faith, those are all good things. He says, flee... But don't just run around crazy, pursue. This is the thing, what are we pursuing? That list of words are character-based words. He says instead of pursuing material things, pursue being a person of high character. In other words, saying, I would rather be a person of great virtue than a person of great monetary value. Because people with great virtue oh man, they contribute so much to the kingdom of God, to this world in general. And sometimes those people of great virtue are blessed with great monetary value. And I would much rather put that money in the hands of someone that's got great integrity and principles than someone who's just all about the bottom line trying to get rich. So he says, pursue these things. Pursue Christian character. Pursue who God is. Righteousness, faith. Flee, pursue. Then the third word is this. Fight fight. Now, uh, first of all, a little plug here. Uh, men's retreat, May 17th and 18th. Our theme this year is fight. Guys, if you haven't signed up yet for our men's retreat, uh, last Wednesday was our quote-unquote deadline because we were trying to get some basic numbers figured out, but it's not too late to get in. You can come talk to me about this. Uh, we're, what we're talking about over the course of our men's week, weekend, uh, May 17th and 18th, it's just one night, Friday night, and then Saturday till lunch, is what does it mean to Fight. For our faith and fight for our family. So, like, totally, come see me if you if, if you forgot to sign up for that. It's not too late. Come see me. But this concept of fight the good fight. What in the world does that have to do with our money? I think that it's a really I think it's a really interesting concept how they connect. Um, coming into a new mindset about anything is not easy. And if we're going to shift our worldly mentality that money is everything, to it's not everything. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight. In fact, the fight that we're having with all these elements of our life, maybe for you it's not finances. Maybe it's something going on in your marriage, something going on at work, something going on with your own integrity, whatever you're dealing with. It is not just a physical fight. I love what Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't human. It's not earthly. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This is a very spiritual conversation and we're not ones to pull back the veil and look at spiritual things as Americans we're very much like how surface level can I be because I just don't want to think past that I would much rather unplug at a video game or Netflix binge or whatever because I don't want to go deeper but but what God is teaching us here is like listen all of this struggle is spiritual and if there's anything that the evil one can come and use against us it's our infatuation with wealth so he says fight the good fight of faith why is it a fight for faith Let's move the pendulum again. If you're ever here and you got a ton of money and tons of security, guess where your faith is—in your money and your security. As long as I got plenty of money, I don't even—I'm fine, I'm good. Check this out. Move the pendulum. If I'm over here and I'm struggling and I don't have enough money, guess what you're doing with all your might? I'm fighting uphill to make more money. That's my only goal. I'm trying to get there. And if all if all of my trust is in whether or not my bank account is full or empty, there's no room for me to put faith in what really matters and what can really move, which is God. Both ends of the pendulum are putting their faith in money. And God says, listen, what are you going to do with that? You didn't bring it into the world, you can't take it out? But I'm here, and I never change. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul says it this way, and we talked about this in week one of our series in Philippians chapter four. Paul said this, I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, but I have learned the secret to contentment in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. His faith was in the power of Jesus in his life. And that was from our very first lesson in this series. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. It's it's a solid teaching that gives us a good foundation for contentment. Faith isn't contingent on the amount of money we have in our bank account. Trust in God has to come first. And then the rest of it plays out. He says, flee. He says, pursue. He says, fight the good fight. And this is the fourth one. And take hold. Let's read the verse. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Um, have you ever had this moment? Have you ever been like looking for your sunglasses and you just couldn't find them? They're nowhere. They're, those sunglasses are nowhere to be found. And what you didn't realize was that for the past hour and a half, they've been on your head the whole time. And you're like, where are they? I just had them. And you're asking, you're accusing your kids. Who put my sun? Did you take them? You probably broke them. And you're walking around and then you walk into the bathroom frustrated and you're looking on the sink and you look up at the mirror. You're like, oh God, they're Right. You just needed to be reminded. When when Paul's writing this letter to these these believers and he's writing to Timothy, here's the thing. They they knew the blessings of God. They knew what it meant to live in faith in God. They'd been taught that stuff, but you know what they needed? They needed to be reminded of what was right on their head the whole time. Take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. There's this thing that happens occasionally. I, I love sports. My favorite like sport is probably NFL football. I love it. Um, I've been loving the spring training stuff. I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, so I love all the spring training stuff and it's things going on. I'm like, this is the year, and every team is like, we did draft great, we're great. Um, but I can't talk about the Cowboys today because it's last year in the last, I don't know, decade has been, it's been the era of the New England Patriots. <laughs> And and you know what? Props. Tom Brady, he's the GOAT. i got to give it to him. But here's the deal. Something happened with the Patriots, and I want to apply this to, to what Paul's saying to us and to the readers here. Something happened last week. It was in week 16. There's 17, if you don't know football, it, you don't have to understand football to get this. There's 17 weeks in the regular season. Teams play 16 games. You get one week off. It's a bye week. Okay, so on, on the 16th week of the season, the Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills. In doing so, they, they clinched, they secured their, their playoff appearance, which means that playoffs is after the regular season. So the teams that aren't as good, they don't get to play anymore. And then the best teams keep playing, and they eventually made their run to, to the Super Bowl. But in week 16, they clinched their playoff. Every other team in week 17 who was playing was having to work their butts off to try to improve their record by one more game so they might be able to make it to the playoffs. But the Patriots in week 17, they got to walk into that game and be like, we already got our playoff berth, baby. They could walk into week 17 with no concerns about how the game ended. Why? They already won. This is a beautiful thing about professional athletes and sports and all this stuff. They didn't just lay down, though. They didn't just give up. They just said, hey, you guys can have it. They still played the game. Probably different strategy, but the starters started and the game went on. Here's the deal. Paul says, take hold of the eternal life which you were given. And if, you, if you're a Christian today, if you know Jesus, I want to let you know something. God has given you the gift of his eternal life, his presence among you. We talked about his Holy Spirit coming into your life. Uh, I think that was last week. And it was like this big, God comes in and he gives you. And when we are fighting the good fight of faith, I want you to understand this. You are not fighting for victory because the victory has already been won. You are fighting from victory. <laughs> So that when you get to go into the game, you get to go in knowing that no matter what happens here today, whether it's with the topic we're talking about today, money or anything else that you're dealing with, your addiction, your pain, your your marriage thing you're dealing with, whatever it is, government stuff, school stuff, whatever it is, you walk into the game going, I know that my Savior already won. I'm still going to play the game. I'm going to do my best. And you know what you can do for those who maybe haven't won yet? You can be there for them. You can show how it's played. You can show them the grace of God. You can tell the story of what God's given in your life. But you don't just lay down. But on the other end of that, you go, I'm not playing for victory. I'm playing from victory. And Paul tells these people, like, take hold of that. So often when we look at our contentment in our life, we're like, I just need more. And Paul says, what more do you need? The living God has come into this world. He's given you connection with the Father. You can have that. It's yours to take if you want it. It's free. But take hold of it. Flee. Pursue. Fight the good fight. Take hold. As we look at the rest of this passage, and there's a lot more in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we're not going to read, I think that the most fitting way to conclude this stuff this morning will be to look at a couple of verses that Paul wraps up with. Because it's just this clear instruction. I have tried real hard to, like, Preach really good, tell really good stories, be I don't know, good communicator, whatever. But I never, ever, ever do it better than the Bible did it. It's like I keep on coming back, I'm like, that's just so good. Let's just read that and then just go home. It's so good. So verse 17, this is 1 Timothy 6, uh, starting verse 17 through 19. Remember, remember the context. I think Paul's pretty pretty upset. The church that Timothy's at, Paul had been there for a couple years himself, and so and he sees this like trouble that's happening. He's pretty upset. So I just picture Paul coming like, come on, guys, let's get this. So he said this in verse 17. He says, Will you command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment? Just time out. I want you to know... Wealth, material stuff, it's not by itself evil. God gives us everything for our enjoyment. Like you like boats? Okay, you got you got in a career where you have enough money to buy a boat and you're, you're doing well in other areas of your life in terms of like being godly and stuff, and it's okay, buy a boat. Make it, make it God's boat. Work it in God's kingdom. Take care of your family with it. Take care of it. But God gives us everything for our enjoyment. That's great. But listen, don't put your faith in that. He calls them arrogant. They put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But then he says in verse 18, this is the key. Because sometimes we hear that, we're like, oh, great. Okay, yeah, This is God's boat, God's mansion. That's God's beach house. This is God's 15 pairs of shoes. No, no, no. It's not, don't, don't misuse what Paul's saying here. Verse 18, he says, and command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. If you want more, you want more, have more good deeds. That's the more we struggle for. That's the more we fight for. Scripture teaches that when we do good deeds in this world, that people see that and they give glory to the Father in heaven. Jesus said that. If you want to be rich, fine. But be rich in good deeds. And be generous and willing to share. If every good thing comes from God, guess who, who really has the title to it all? Him. You didn't bring anything into the world with you. You can't take anything out with you. So with what we've got, let's be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And Paul, Paul borrows Jesus' words here. When Jesus talked about, uh, you know, finances or whatever in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't store up for yourself treasures in, uh, on this earth where, where moths and rust eat and thieves break, thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where that stuff doesn't happen. And, and Paul uses the same language talking about treasures. He says that uh, in this way, if you can be generous and willing to share, in this way you will lay up treasures as a firm foundation of the coming age so that It may take hold of the life that is truly life. (sighs) What is the cure for our discontent with our money? Generosity. Every time. The more you give away, the more you realize you can live without. It was Easter Sunday two weeks ago. And uh, I had the great honor of standing in front of us and and saying, you know what, as as a church leadership, the church leadership decided that we wanted to give away an entire week's offering. When um, I mean, we've done this for a couple of years and we said let's just do this. Restore Church is up in Jacksonville they're two years old now and they're doing great but you know as a young church we understand the struggle of finances when you first get started. We as a church are still supported by outside support uh, like missionaries basically and so we understand, we understand that like and it's hard to talk about money because people like uh, don't talk about money. That's It's like this taboo we don't talk about it. So our leadership said you know what let's just beyond all let's be generous. And so you guys stepped up. And I shared last week, and I want to celebrate again. We collected an offering of over $6,000 to give away. Like, this, it's not like we did a special offering on top of our offering to take care of our needs. We just said, no, whatever comes in that day, in fact, for that whole week, we're giving it all away. And on the other end of that gift, I got to call that church and talk to their pastor and say, dude, guess what? There's a check coming your way. And you know what he said? Praise God. They just moved venues. And you, we know, right? We know about moving venues. Ooh, we have moved some venues. We are like the children of Israel walking through the desert. If you... <laughs> like, where are we going to set up the tent today, God? Well, we're at the YMCA now. And um, they had just moved venues. And he said, you know, I'll just sit with my leadership. And I said to them, "And if we, if we could find a way to fi- find just $5,000, there's this thing that they want to do to help reach the community there and do these things. If we could just find that thing. And then I tell them the number that you guys collected. And he said, oh, my goodness. It got, God is so faithful. He t- and that's just anecdotal. Like That's just one little story. But I think every one of us have been given a hand up by somebody at some point and knowing that if it wasn't for those people who just came in and were generous with what they had, we wouldn't be where we are today. That comes directly from the heart of God who is the most generous giver ever. He gave of himself. He made himself nothing, became like a man, became God in the flesh, that's who Jesus is. He gave his life so that he could give us life. And as we take a look back and we look at the need that we all feel to have more, I just want to caution us as Paul did to Timothy in the church there, he said, flee, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life as God gave you when you, when you confess that before many others. And if you're here today and you haven't taken hold of that life that Jesus offers, I want to tell you, one, I'm glad you're here. Super pumped that you're here. This is a church that's totally patient. We are endurance. We have endurance with, with time and people. I want you to come back. Come back next week. Maybe come hang out with us at our Venture Basics class tonight or just come to the, uh, the baseball game in a few weeks to get to know some people. But most importantly, dig deep and ask yourself, what would it mean if I took hold of the life that God gave me? And we can discover the secret to contentment. was that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. Let's pray.